All right, all right. Good to see you guys this morning. Hope you had a good week. Lori and I had a very interesting week this week. Uh, If we rewind back to last Sunday, we were like getting ready because last year she had agreed to speak at a conference for pastors and leaders in Orlando, Florida. There was this little thing happening uh, in Florida last week uh, called Hurricane Ian. We kept seeing more about it on, on Sunday, and we're like, what do we do, you know? Like, but Monday came around, they, they still hadn't canceled the conference. We're like, well, we, we said we'd be there. We gave them our word, we'd do it. She and I were gonna lead like a breakout session together. So Monday, we flew in to a hurricane. That's what it felt like. We flew into to Orlando, and by Tuesday, she was supposed to speak Tuesday night, Tuesday afternoon, they were sandbagging the doors of the hotel we were staying at. I'm just telling you, that's, that's unnerving. And they still had not canceled this conference. There was only like 10%, 20% of the people left. Everybody else was gone, but they're like, we're doing it. You know, so I'm like, all right, well, I guess we're doing it. So Lori and I started trying to figure out, like she was done speaking about 6.30 or 6.45 and we're like, we gotta get on the road, but what do we do? If we stay there, they already announced the Orlando airport was gonna be closed Thursday and Friday. I'm like, I gotta get back for the weekend. I wanna be back to see our family. You know, like, like how do we kind of navigate all of this? And um, some of our friends were saying, well, we're gonna drive north um, to Atlanta and then fly out of Atlanta, kind of be ahead of the storm. I'm like, That's, that sounds like a good idea. But then I called my friend, Pastor David Hughes, who's spoken here at Central many times. He lives in the Fort Lauderdale area. I'm like, David, you know what, what do you think? He goes, bro, I would not go north. <laughs> he goes, north, 100,000 people are gonna be driving north. There will be no gas, not a single drop of gas available anywhere if you go north. There'll be no hotel rooms, nowhere to stop, nowhere to sleep. Because in some areas, there won't even be water or food left, you know, because it'll be all picked over. So if you're gonna go north, you just need to know that. I said, well, what would you do? He said, if it was me, I'd drive south into the storm. I'm like, explain yourself. (laughs) He says, look, the storm's coming in on the west side. If you drive over to the east side of the state, you're closed from Orlando, and just come down the east coast, you'll only get the outer band of the storm. All the traffic will be going north, but you'll be going south, which I'm like, that's kind of eerie. You know, like everybody's leaving, and we're like, what's up? We're going in. You know, like... So you drive south, and then he goes, once you get down to Miami, like if there's ever an airport in the whole state that is most likely to stay open as long as possible, it will be the Miami airport. You'll be able to get the first kind of available flight out to go back. He's like, bro, drive south. All my, everybody I was with was like, you're crazy, man. We're going to Nashville. We're driving to Atlanta, you know, all this. So anyway, Lori spoke. She did an amazing job. uh, And it was a really tough environment when everybody's just has, the thing about a hurricane is you know it's coming and and they keep telling you it's coming and telling you and they're sandbagging the doors and everybody's locking everything. There's this sense of impending doom (laughs) just hanging over you. We're all sitting in that conference thinking, I gotta get out of here. I have got to get out of here. (laughs) Anyway, as soon as she was done, we jumped in the car and we headed south. Trusted my friends. I was like, what's the point of having friends? If you don't trust them, they've lived there their whole lives. 
I will say, all we picked up was the outer band of the hurricane, but I've never driven through as much rain and wind in my entire life, man. Like, we're driving along, and all of a sudden, it starts raining so hard. We have the windshield wipers going full blast. I have lived for the better part of 20 years in an area that gets four inches of rain a year. A year. We're getting four inches of rain a second. And I mean, those windshield wipers are going. You can't see anything. And well, I'm taking my glasses off. Lori's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to see. She's like, that does not seem like they're just like, I don't know, man. I'm just turning the car light on. You know, it's dark, but I'm turning it on because I think it helps me, you know. And she's like, this cannot be helping you. Anyway, cars are slowing down. They've got their, everybody's got their hazards on. We're hydroplaning. I'm like, Pastor David told me to do this go south. And then this stuff starts popping up on our phones. Emergency alert. <laughs> National Weather Service. Tornado warning in this area until 745. Look at this. Take shelter now in a basement or an interior room on the lowest floor of a sturdy building. If you are outdoors in a mobile home or in a vehicle, move to the closest substantial shelter and protect yourself from flying debris. Check media. And we're like driving along and Lori freaks. Now I grew up in Amarillo, Texas. That's kind of like Hurricane Alley. So I grew up around hurricanes. And the problem when you grow up around something, like if you're a Southern Californian, you grew up around earthquakes. You know, it's like, oh, there's an earthquake in California. You're like, big whoop. I mean, I can, I literally, when there's a hurricane in Texas, like you go out in your front yard, you know, all the rookies hide. You're like, oh, we'll see it coming. Where is it? Where is it? You know, that's just like, I, I mean, I've seen a hurricane from a half mile, I mean, a tornado from a half mile away. Like, I'm, you know, I'm just desensitized to it. But Lori completely freaks out when her phone goes off and she's like, we have to get off the road. We have to get, I mean, she is seeing cows in her mind flying across the freeway. You know what I, remember Twister, the movie Twister? Like, that's where her head goes. And she goes, here's, take the next exit, the next exit. We have to get off. We have to get, I mean, she's panicking. And I'm like, where are we going? She goes, I found a hotel. I'm like, you are trying to take me to the Bates Motel in the middle of nowhere. Somebody's going to kill us out there. Like, I'll take my chances on the hurricane. Anyway, it was a heck of a journey. So about four hours in, I'm just totally exhausted. And we're, we're about an hour from Miami. And we were going to go all the way down to Miami near to the airport. We, had, we found a hotel room there. We were just going to try to get the first flight that we could back. But, but about an hour out, I was so exhausted. And our friends, David and Lisa Hughes, were like, look, you got to get off the road. So they're like, if you just turn inland, we're kind of where you're at, and head about 30 minutes, you'll be at our house. Just come to our house, get off the road. You'll be safe. Everything will be fine. So that's what we did. We, 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 we went to their house. And when I pulled in their driveway, I had this overwhelming sense of gratitude this sense of rest, this sense that it was going to be okay. I remember I opened the car door and I actually teared up because I was just like, we made it. We made it. Of course, you know, we're all heartbroken seeing Fort Myers area and those areas that were just so devastated by the hurricane, just un unbelievable. And we're praying for those individuals. And as we've mentioned, some of our church locations in Florida are really rallying to go down and to help in every way that they can. But that sense of safety, that sense of pulling into their driveway and feeling like we had a refuge, it was going to be okay. That's actually a, a, a sense that Jesus invites us into 
And he uses the word rest. He invites us into his rest. The word rest can mean a place of of refuge, a place of safety. And it was often used as a specific place. Like you could go back to that place again and again and again. And Jesus is saying he is the place that we can find rest in the middle of a hurricane. Sometimes life feels like a hurricane, doesn't it? Come on, parents. Parenting feels like a hurricane. Some of you, you need to, you just, you clean the house and it looks like 30 seconds later a hurricane went through. You know what I'm talking about? And then you just give up. You just, what's the point, you know? We used to have a closet downstairs in our house that that's, even when the house looked clean, if you opened it, it would just, junk would just fall out. Toys. One point I cleaned it all. I found chocolate back in there from like, you know, 20 years before. It was crazy. But parenting can feel like a hurricane. You know, work can feel like a hurricane. Sometimes life feels like that, but Jesus offers us rest. So look at what he says in Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28. And Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I will give you that place of refuge, that place of rest in the storm of life. The good news today is you and I, we can trade our burdens for God's rest can trade our burdens for his rest. I want to talk to you about how we can do that. My first thought for you today is simply this, to make some margin in your life. It's hard to enter into the rest that Jesus offers when you don't have any margin in your life. About 17 years ago, I had a defining moment in my life. I was standing in the, in the laundry room of our house. Lori was at the grocery store. I remember that because I was kind of bitter about it. I had already put the kids down. I was getting laundry done because I had to leave the next morning. There was a lot of pressure, you know, a lot of uh, feeling like we're running out of time, you know, and I'm like, I can't believe she went to the grocery store when I got to get all this stuff done. I put our little, our daughter was three years old. I put her to bed two different times and I heard her little feet hit the floor upstairs that told me she had gotten up out of bed again. And in my frustration and anger, I just reared back and punched a hole in the laundry room wall. Legit. And I remember like standing there and looking at it. And I was actually like really embarrassed. I remember looking at it and thinking, nice job, Pastor Judd. Like, seriously, you just, how childish, you know, you just punched a hole in the laundry room wall because you're stressed and you didn't get your way. And my second thought was, I got to make sure Lori never sees this. (laughs) So I took some stuff and kind of tried to move it over there. It was a pretty lame attempt, but, but I thought, you know, know, she probably won't see it. And then I got to leave town, but I'll be back in two days and I can like, you know, take care of it. She'll never know. Would you believe she, she gets home from the grocery store, walks in, we're bringing the groceries in. She immediately takes some stuff to the laundry room and walks in there and walks right out. I kid you not. She goes, why is there a hole in the laundry room wall? Everything within me wanted to lie. But I told her, I said, because your husband, the pastor, lost his stuff and punched a hole in the laundry room wall. And she raised her eyebrow. And the very next thing I said to her was, don't tell anybody. And she raised her eyebrow a little more. You know, don't tell anybody. So, as God would have it, 
Shortly after that, I was teaching a message on temptation. And I remember as I'm getting ready to do this message on temptation, all the temptations that I shared that I had faced in my own life were from a long time ago. (laughs) And I remember like the Holy Spirit just totally convicting me like, you need to talk about your struggle with anger and impatience right now. And I'm like, okay. And then I just sense this, you need to tell the church that you punched a hole in the laundry room wall. And I'm like, nope, I'm not doing that. I don't know how people will view me. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm supposed to be a pastor. It's not happening. Anyway, I come into church. It was Saturday night. Like, we're singing all these songs. God, I give you my heart. I give you everything. And I'm like, God, I give it all to you. And I sense like, tell the church you punched a hole in the laundry room wall. I don't give you that. You don't get that. I'm keeping that one for myself. You know, like, no, not doing it. So I get up. I'm teaching just like now. And it's going horribly. I remember like people are falling asleep. There's no light. There's no fire. God has left the building kind of horrible, you know, like, like I'm just like blah, blah, blah. And I, I, I'm hating the message in the moment as much or more than anybody else. And it's just this sense of God, I think, just telling me like, all right, you want to be, you want to rebel? This, here you go. This is not going to end well for you. And so finally, about halfway through this horrible message, I woke everybody up and told them that I punched a hole in the laundry room wall and I was very embarrassed by this, but it was a point of temptation. And it was interesting because after that service, the amount of guys was like 40 deep that came and found me and they're like, hey man, I'm glad you know you told that story because I've done the same thing. Guys were like, listen bro, you just gotta take a picture. You gotta hang the picture right. You can cover that hole up, man. You're You're just a rookie. But I remember one guy said, listen, if you're, if you're going to be real, I'll be real. And I think that's the power. That's what I learned through all of that is the power of the church is authentic people just being real on the journey. What I learned from that moment is that I had been running for years with no margin. I mean, for years and years with no margin. And if you run with no margin in your life for years, if you don't ever really stop or rest, you are inevitably going to hit the wall figuratively or literally. And so that hole in the wall became like a turning point in my life. By the way, I I haven't done that since. Just going to throw that out there. Small victories. But it became a turning point in my life because I looked at that and thought, is that what I'm becoming? Is that who I'm going to become? And I began to make some changes in my life to put some margin back into my life. Let me ask you some questions to see if you're living without margin. You know, if you're constantly rushed, if you're showing up late, if you're leaving early, if you often forget things that you agreed to do, (laughs) you may be living without margin. If you can't remember the last time you said no and disappointed someone, you might be living without margin. If you disappear into bouts of escapism, you know, gaming, shopping, binge watching, substances, whatever, all of it's kind of in an effort to cope, you may be living without real margin in your life. If you can't remember the last time you talked to someone you love without a reason or an agenda, you might be living without margin. 
if you feel so rushed and exhausted that you're starting to get bitter, you may be living without margin. God didn't create his people to live without margin. And if you run without margin long enough, you will hit the wall. In fact, God actually invented the day off. God invented the weekend. The weekend was God's idea. And he models it from the very beginning. In the first chapters of the Bible, the book of Genesis says, you know, when God finished his work of creation on the seventh day, it says he finished his work and he rested from all his work. And the Jewish teachers and scholars over, over millennia would tell you that that word rested is a very rich and powerful word. It came to mean in the, in the Hebrew mind like the word happiness or bliss or joy or uh, harmony or peace. In other words, God didn't, resting isn't just stopping what you're doing. Resting is that rhythm that helps us get back in touch with joy and peace and happiness that God can put into our lives. He rested from his work. God didn't rest because he was tired. He rested to celebrate all that he had done. And one of the interesting things about the book of Genesis, little side note, is the ancient sort of Near Eastern gods at the time, when they would rest from something, the idea was that they had conquered something that they could rest because there were no more battles to fight and there was no more land to, just, to have victory over like, like they had won. And so part of the idea of God resting on the seventh day is that God is large and in charge. There's nothing else to fight. There's not like he can rest. It's not that he's tired, it's that he reigns, right? But he set the model for us. If God rested, we should rest. If God took the initiative and modeled it, so should we. And then what you see in the Bible is God calls the Israelites out of captivity and slavery. Look, the Israelites as slaves, they work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They're pretty, you don't really get a day off as a slave. But God comes along and says, if you're going to be my people, you're going to take what's called the Sabbath day, the day of rest. Every seven days, one day will Will be a day of rest where you will cease from work. And at one point when he's feeding them miraculously in the wilderness from this manna given from heaven, they're to go out and they're to collect it every day. And when the, when the manna first showed up on the ground, there were people that went out and were like, oh man, I'm going to make a whole business out of this. You know, they got all the manna, they get everything, and they start shipping it back and setting up shipping departments and all the things. And then they found out like the next day it all went bad. It was only good for one day. Every day you had to go out and get more manna. It was good for that day. Except for on Friday. On Friday, you could go out and get manna for two days. Because there wouldn't be any manna on Saturday. That was the Sabbath. The day of rest. So even in the wilderness wanderings, God is teaching his people. There is a day to rest Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning of verse 15, kind of tells us why. God says, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to what? Rest on the Sabbath day. Why? Because he brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. So the day of rest is about remembering that God has rescued us. The day of rest is about celebrating all that God has done in our life. Does anybody have anything to celebrate in your life that God has done? Right? 
Can anybody look back and say, man, God was good to me even when I didn't deserve it? Can anybody say God saw me through even when I didn't see a way? Can anybody acknowledge when it looked hopeless, God showed up and he moved? The Sabbath is about celebrating that once a week at the minimum in your life and stopping and acknowledging, man, God has been good to me. You get perspective. You get rest. Now, when you move into the New Testament, you find that of all like the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath is one is the one commandment that's not specifically reiterated in the New Testament of the Bible, the latter part of the Bible. In fact, what the Bible says is about the Sabbath is that Jesus himself, here it is again, has become our Sabbath rest. In other words, it's not so much a day where we rest. We have entered into a season of rest through faith in Jesus Christ, that he accomplished our salvation for us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so we're not... We don't have to be legalistic about the Sabbath. And for centuries, Christians haven't been like legalistic about the Sabbath like those before in the Jewish faith were as far as keeping it holy. But the principle, I think, is still there. That God has wired us to have margin in our life. And my encouragement to you is not to be legalistic about the Sabbath, but it's simply to step back and look at your life and say, am I taking time to rest? Like every seven days, and maybe you can't take a whole day. Maybe it's two half days, right? Whatever your schedule sort of provides. And some of you are like, man, I rest like five days a week. Well, that's a whole other conversation, okay? I know that, like, like that's another message, okay? I get it. But are you taking the time? Because if you don't, eventually, you will hit the wall, right? You will hit the wall. And sometimes in a lot more catastrophic ways than just punching through the drywall, you know? Create margin in your life. Somebody right now is thinking, I'd love to do that, but, but you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't see how it's possible. I, I, I don't think I can do that. I can't afford to do that. And my challenge is you, you can't afford to not do that. I believe you will, over time, make more money, go further, and be more successful working six days a week and taking a day off and honoring God than you will if you work seven days and just keep grinding. Sometimes taking that day off, stepping back from those extra hours, right? Sometimes that's an act of faith. Sometimes it's a commitment of faith to say, God, I'm going to trust you to fill in the gaps. We're going to honor you. Make some margin in your life if you want to enter into that rest. Here's another thought, and that is trade up your burdens. Trade up your burdens. I saw this on social media. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, it says, uh, experts, serving size of chips is 10 chips. <laughs> Me. I eat 10 chips while standing in the pantry with the bag open, trying to decide if I want to eat chips. How many of you feel me right here? That's what I'm talking about. I'm not even sure I want to eat chips yet. You know, it's easy to sort of fill ourselves with with great food and not so great food. But spiritually, when it comes to like filling our souls, that can be a challenge. And and sometimes even if you have plenty of time off, so to speak, but you're not worried, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're filling your soul up, that you're doing things that really give you life. Sometimes the burden of everything, even though you have extra time, just continues to weigh you down. So look at what Jesus says as he goes on in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I what? Give you is light. 
What I love about that word give is it's, it reminds us that Jesus isn't simply trying to add more burden into our life. Jesus is actually going to give us a lighter burden. It's a trading situation. He says, take my yoke upon you. Now, yoke was something that animals would have fitted around their necks. They would carry it so that they could carry, so that they could pull plows and other things like that. We really don't have yokes, but uh, we do have these things, backpacks. And so think about it this way. Some of you, you have the weight of the world on your shoulders right now, right? You know who you are. I mean, you got financial pressures, we got inflation, you don't know how you're going to make ends meet, you got all the things you're worried about with your kids, your family, your future, you know, you turn the news on and it's, you know, recession, recession, recession talk and all the stock market stuff and all the craziness going on in the world and it's hard to sort of get your hands around like what's happening and you just have the weight of the world that you're carrying on your shoulders. And some of you, you carry it like, like man, I'm only as good as, as uh, the people, uh, you know, around me how they see me. I'm only as good as my last performance. You know, I've got to have other people's approval. I've got to be successful. I've got to make a certain amount of money. I've got to, all these things have to happen in my life. And we start carrying around, and then we start carrying around the pain that we've experienced. We carry around bitterness. We carry around hurt. All these things, we, we carry it right on our shoulders. We got the weight of the world on our shoulders. And for some of us, it is killing us in our lives. And Jesus isn't coming along saying, let me give you more weight. Yeah. <laughs> You know, now, now you need to go to church and you need to tithe and you need to serve and you need to get in a group and you need to do five other things, right? You're like, oh God, I'm glad I'm a believer. Oh, I'm dying. <laughs> Jesus is actually saying, trade with me. He's saying, trade with me. In other words, take that pack and all those burdens and all those cares and all those concerns and lay it down. And he says, take up my burden, take up my pack. Because it's light and it's easy to bear. See, when you take up Jesus' pack, when you take up his, his pack, you realize that, that you don't have to carry all the weight on your own shoulders. Listen, you don't have to carry the burden of providing for yourself and your family alone because God is your provider. You don't have to have the burden of solving every problem and issue because God's your helper. You don't have to figure out every detail of your future because God is your shepherd. You don't have to figure out how to fight back against those who may be making life hard for you because God is your defender. You don't have to find a way to make up for every mistake and failing in your life because God is your forgiver. You don't have to lead a life of perfect moral effort because God is your savior. You don't have to discover and fight for every opportunity opportunity because God is your leader and no one can open or shut a door that he doesn't open or shut. Listen, you don't have to carry all the heavy burden on your shoulder because your God is not only strong and powerful, he is gentle and humble and he can give you rest for your soul. Jesus is saying, trade with me, trade your heavy burdens, trade up for my burden." He's the place we find rest. You know, this week, there's a couple big milestones. Yesterday, we marked the five-year anniversary of the Vegas mass shooting. And that's a time that I will never forget, kind of marked me for the rest of my life. 
We remember on October 1 that 58 people plus two, now the official number is 60 people lost their lives. We also remember the incredible courage that our first responders showed, police, fire, medical, just the way they jumped in and put their lives at risk to save the lives of others in incredibly heroic ways. Several members of our church were, were injured uh, on October 1, and, and one of them tragically passed away. And kind of going through that whole season, one of the things I remember is the city of Las Vegas came together like I had never seen before or since. Um, I remember this guy, he, he, he like ran out of gas or his car stalled at a, at a light, like kind of partially out in the intersection. And, and you guys know what I'm talking about when I say this, man. Old Las Vegas, everybody just drive around him. Peace, bro. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All these people like stop. Like everybody just stop. Everybody got out of their cars. Everybody walked. There was like 30 people pushing this guy's car through the light. And I just started crying. I was like, I never seen that. I mean, you see people help people, but not that. Like, everybody just was like, oh, we'll help you. And at the donation centers, you know, it was like the cars were a mile long. People giving water, food, whatever we could. What can we do? Can we do anything, you know, to help? Um, and so you, you think about those who's lost their lives and their families. We continue to pray for them. And, and then also Hurricane Ian this week. You know, just a lot has gone on that can make you think, like, where is God? in all of this crazy hurricane storm of life. Like, where is God in the, in the random things? Reminds me of a piece that I, re I read years ago. One of my favorite books um, was by a pastor named Greg Boyd, and it's called Letters to a Skeptic. Letters to a Skeptic. And it's letters that he wrote to his dad, who was an atheist. And he's trying to convince his dad, like, this is why I'm a follower of Jesus. And these are raw, really powerful exchanges back and forth. And at one point, his dad says, um, his dad says, look, uh, he talks about losing his wife. Ed Boyd talks about losing his wife. And he mentions that, that she was dying and they all prayed and prayed, but it seemed like God didn't care. Greg responded to his dad's letter sort of straight from the gut about his mother's death and the whole question of suffering and evil. And he said he recalled a time when he was struggling with his faith in college. And, and one day he was reflecting on the horror of Auschwitz. And he looked up at the sky and he said in a loud, angry voice, the only God I can believe in is one who knows firsthand what it's like to be a Jewish child buried alive and knows what it's like to be a Jewish mother watching her child be buried. And then he said, it occurred to me that that is exactly the kind of God that Christianity proclaims. That there's no other belief that does this. Only the gospel proclaims that God enters smack dab into the middle of the hell that we create. Only the gospel dares to proclaim that God was born a baby in a bloody, crap-filled stable and that he lived a life befriending prostitutes and lepers no one else would befriend and that he suffered firsthand the hellish depth of all that is nightmarish in human existence. Only the gospel portrait of God makes sense of the contradictory fact that the world is both so beautiful and so ugly. And then he writes to his dad, I don't know exactly why God didn't answer our prayers for mom. I know that if it wasn't for human sin, 
And if we weren't involved in this spiritual war, this painful situation would have never arisen. But more important than this explanation, he says, is this understanding. God was suffering with you and me and mom throughout the whole affair. He cries too. And through his participation in our pain, he wants to redeem it. He wants to bring about whatever healing is possible to you and to me and to all who are involved. This is what struck me. The answer was not an answer. It was a person, the person of Jesus. And Jesus says he is the place of rest and of refuge. When you're running without margin, when life feels like a storm and a hurricane, when things happen that we can't make sense of, Jesus is saying, you can come to me. I will always be a place of rest, restoration. You can trade your burden for my burden. It's light and it's easy. So my challenge to you this week, look at your schedule, look at it from a standpoint of spiritual discipline and say, I'm going to make time. We all, we all only have 24 hours a day. We can make time to take off, to not only worship, to celebrate all that God has done, but to do some things we love to do as well, to remember who God created us to be, to remember who we are. And then you can trade your burden. And remember that you don't have to carry all those worries and all those fears. You don't have to carry that bitterness and that hate. You can lay that stuff down. You can forgive because of what Jesus has done. You can carry his pack, which is light and easy. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you've never crossed the line of faith. And I'd love to just give you that opportunity to reach out to God and to enter into his rest. So would all of you bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you'd like to become a follower of Jesus, Commend that journey by just uh, repeating this prayer after me, either out loud or in your own heart and mind. Just say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. and Help me face the challenges I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name. Friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, if it's your commitment, I want to ask you to just slip your hand in the air. Just make eye contact with me. Just to say before God, to say to me, you're going to trust him and follow him in your life. God bless you guys. Thank you. Just reach out to him. Thank you so much. Bless you guys. Thank you. Thank you. God, I thank you for each person reaching out to you today. I pray you'll bless them in their life, forgive them, restore them, fill them with your spirit, your grace, and your goodness. We celebrate you and we thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's put our hands together for those who made spiritual commitments in their life today. Now I'm going to ask all of you to stand together with me. If you made a spiritual commitment in your life, congratulations. We want to encourage you to swing out to our next step area in the lobby after service or pop online, central.family, and click the link, I've decided to follow Jesus.